pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and the time that we have set aside for your worship. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to sing these songs to your praise and to your glory, that we would put forth our greatest and our best effort, remembering that you are the one that redeemed us and you are the one that has done everything good in our lives. We ask that you would take the preaching time, use it, that we may be convicted, that we may be drawn nearer to you, that we may see the things in our lives that hinder us from serving you and living a life that would bring glory to your name. We ask you during the invitation time that none of us would withhold ourselves from your direction. And Lord, that we would be able to go forth from this place and saying, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next thing. And if you have tasted of the water of life, could you say a nice loud amen with me this morning? God has designed it so life must have water. You ever wonder why the NASA nuts, I'm sorry, scientists, are always looking for signs of liquid water on all these other planets. The only problem is the temperature is a constant 40 degrees below zero. I guess you'd have to go to college to be smart enough to look for water, liquid water in the freezer, amen? Um, My mama taught me better than that. Water is... The essence of life, the Bible, uh, the Bible tells us these things in John chapter 4. And, and let's just start reading here in, uh, in verse 10. Jesus is in the conversation with the woman at the well. Her first response in verse 9 is, Why in the world are you a Jew even speaking to me whom a Samaritan... Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answering, answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In this... In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, I wish we could spend the whole morning just on this story. But as we get into our 
into the sermon this morning, I want us to understand that God has many uses for water in the Scripture. And, and I just want to preach on how God uses water. We certainly won't cover everything, but the first and the primary, in fact, if you don't stop here, nothing else matters, is in salvation. You cannot have life here on earth, what we would consider life, without water. It's got to come from somewhere. The human being needs lots of water. Every two years we have the inner city missions class and we're glad that we have three students this year. This is through Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City. And some may not understand completely what that is about, but uh, it is the opportunity for our church to use what God has given us to influence the hearts of young men preparing for the ministry about considering starting a church or helping a work or at least being sensitive to inner city ministries. Uh, I believe our inner cities are the most uh, unevangelized or the least evangelized would be a better way of saying it, places on the face of this earth. And what we need is not more radio, not more Bible studies. We need more churches. That's God's plan. And so they're here, and we were talking about a little bit about getting to know your city and understanding. How many of you have ever read anything about the New York City water system? Over one billion gallons a day. Can you imagine that? And when the power went out, how many were here for the great blackout a few years ago? They didn't have water out on Long Island, did they? Franklin's from Long Island. We had water in the city because our water system is gravity fed. There's not one pump in it until you get into Manhattan above the 80th floor. Then they have to get it up there. And uh, so if you're not rich and famous, you don't have to worry about water. Amen? And up until just a few years ago, the water was clean enough and pure enough that it needed almost zero treatment whatsoever. Now they're doing just a few little things. We still have the least treated water of any major municipality in the country. That's a good thing. You know why the bagels are better in New York City? Because of the water. You know what my kids have said? I said, Dad, you won't believe this, but the Starbucks is better in New York City. It's because of the water. And, uh, I'll tell you, I'm glad we have good water. Jesus was using the water that we drink with to picture the work of salvation. I'll tell you, we need water. In fact, if you want to get really bad sick, just don't drink water for a couple of days. Only drink other things. Try to live off coffee. Uh, you'll get dehydrated very quickly and you'll get very ill. You, you must have water and you must constantly replenish the water that is in you. And Jesus was using that normal everyday occurrence to help this woman understand that salvation is not like the human need for water. It does not need to be constantly replenished. It is self-replenishing. It is a well of water within you springing up unto everlasting life. How many of you experience that life-giving water 
that was put in you through the power of Almighty God. You know, I am so glad that I can stand in this pulpit this morning and not say, if you want your sins forgiven, meet me at this little booth over here and tell me about it and I'll decide whether your sins are forgiven or not. I can go to the foot of the cross where every sin that was ever sinned was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that I don't have to give you some set of rituals and ceremonies that you have to perform because this idea of salvation is something that God imparts a little bit at a time as you fill the cup of grace. And of course, when you do bad things, you drain the cup. And depending on how full your cup is, is how quickly you get out of purgatory or whatever version they might add to that. I had a fellow once time tell me, he says, see, you got it all wrong. I always like it when somebody tells me that. Sometimes it's true. That's what the doctor said. You got it all wrong. You're sick. You need to go to bed this week. And let me give you some very strong medicine. And so if I sound a little strange or act a little funny, I'm still under the influence of that. But I'm standing up today, and that's a good thing. But, he said, you see, on Judgment Day, we're all going to be standing there. And they're going to ask a question. Who do you want to take you into heaven? And he said, if you say Joseph Smith, he'll say, well, I can get you there, but it's going to take 10,000 years. And if you say Moses, he'll say, well, I can get you there, but it's going to take 5,000 years. And you say, well, you say, what about Jesus? And he says, well, he says, I can get you there, but it'll take a thousand years. He said, but if you say Muhammad, he'll say, come right on in. I just looked at him and I said, you honestly believe that? I said, these people disagree with each other. And you're going to take vile, wicked men like Joseph Smith and Muhammad and put them on the level of our Savior, Jesus Christ? I said, that's ridiculous. You've got to come to Jesus to get the water. He is the one that paid the price for your sins. If you want that thirst, if you want life, you must come to Jesus Christ alone. The writer of Romans put it this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth thee, Lord Jesus. That little article, T-H-E, is one of the most overlooked words in that verse. You see, this is a Bible that I own because I own more than one Bible. This is the Bible I'm holding in my hand because I'm only holding one. The entire world is willing to confess a Lord Jesus, one of many. But only those that have the water of life are willing to confess the Lord Jesus and surrender their will to his. That's when he puts within us the power of God. The Bible says, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Here's how you get it. Even to them that believe on his name. If you don't have water, you have no life. How many of you know what a seed is? A seed is potential life. Amen? In that seed of itself, it is not a living thing. It is the fruit. It is the kernel. It is dried up. 
But if I will take that seed and put it in the soil and just leave it there in dry, waterless soil, what will happen to that seed? Nothing. It will just sit there. But if I will take water and add to that mixture, that, that seed that is implanted in the soil, the water begins to moisten the outer shells of that seed and it begins to break down and, and it actually dies, as Jesus said. It goes in the ground and it begins to rot and open up and all of a sudden that potential life contained in that seed is released and we have growth, we have life. That's a picture that is used. And we'll talk about that again in a few moments. But I want to challenge you not to look at the person sitting beside you. Not to think of your relatives or some friend. Oh, I wish my friend were here. He needs this so bad. Listen. Allow the mirror of God's word to bring your reflection into focus. Have I been to Jesus for the implantation of His water, His life, into mine? Let's go to the book of Ephesians. You have two great uses of water in your life. One is you need water for life. You need water in your being. But just as important as water for drinking, as water to keep your body hydrated and all of those things, you need water for washing. I don't know how many of you have worked physical labor where you get out and maybe in the field and dig up ground. And uh, my dad said, hey, boys, the rototiller's broken this year. Guess who's going to till the garden? I said, who? He said, you. He said, well, I, I, Dad, how does that work? I mean, we've always watched you do it with the machine. And he says, here's your shovel, son. No gloves. He said, you'll get calluses after the blisters wear off. Amen. And he showed me what to do. He said, no, that's not right. He says, you're not digging down deep enough. He says, you got to step on the back of that shovel, that little ledge there. That's for stepping on. And I get up and jump on that thing and try to push it down in that ground. And sometimes you'd have to do it two or three times. But if you didn't dig down deep and till the ground and get some air moving in there, the crops weren't going to grow. But I'll tell you, at the end of a day like that, there's nothing feels better than some cold water. Not necessarily on the intake, but on the outwash, amen? I mean, just right over the head and pour it over you and, and uh, a lack of washing is one of the primary causes of disease in our world. A lack of clean water kills more people in this world in a year than all other things put together. Here we have a picture, verse 26, let's, let's go back to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27 of Ephesians chapter 5. 
that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Here is an illustration. It says, Jesus wants his church to be clean. Without cleanliness. Now, I know the little phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness. And Jesus did eat with unwashing hands. But that was to illustrate a point, my friend. That true uncleanness comes from the inside, not from the outside. And that the place where you need washing the most, you can't hit with a garden hose. You need washing of the water of the word. I think we live, the, the Bible word is licentious. That is our society. I, I don't know that we have ever lived in an age more full of wicked thoughts and just plain dirt and filth everywhere you go. You just walk up Steinway Street passing out tracks and you feel like you need to go home and take a bath. A spiritual bath. You, you try to serve the Lord. And the things that you hear and see and the billboards you see driving to work or taking the subways. We put up with more filth in our lifetime than the previous generations combined. How do we deal with all of that? There's only one way. It's the water of the word, my friend. You got to get it in you. You got to get it over you. You got to get it so full that when you are attacked, that the word of God is what comes out. They used to tease me when I was in the bus garage at Cleveland Baptist. They said, you cut Pete and he'll bleed diesel fuel. I, I got into my work. And my wife had to really put up with it. Uh, I had a, she had a little rug at the entryway of our apartment when we were first married there. And uh, I had to put my work clothes on, down there because she didn't want what I did at work coming up into the apartment and getting smeared all over the place. Uh, it was bad, and I had to get clean and, and uh, so that uh, she would let me into the house to eat dinner and all the rest of the things. And so uh, I did very well at that, by the way, as you can tell. But the simple truth is, it takes effort to get clean. How many of you have ever, I mean, when I would come home from the bus garage, oftentimes I would, I would have grease and dirt and everything all over the place. And, and uh, I thought I was completely clean. And then there'd be a spot right up here, black grease on my arm that I couldn't see. And, hey, what do you do? You go back and you start over again, Right? We do that in the physical realm without even a thought. When is the last time you did that spiritually? We see a big glaring error in our life. We see a problem. We see something that has stuck to us from walking in the world. And we just try to brush it off and go ahead when we ought to be alarmed and head back to the showers of God's Word. we say amen to that? Amen. We must use God's water. The illustration in the Bible is the priest in the Old Testament tabernacle. 
How many of you are familiar with the brazen labor? If you've been around here, we've, we've spent a lot of time on that. It was made from the looking glasses. Why? So it would be a bright, shiny brass, almost like a, 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 to give a true reflection. And the priest would be able to look into the reflection of that labor and he would, <coughs> excuse me, see the impurities, the things that he had gotten on himself. <coughs> excuse me. Try to keep going with cough drops here. But, and he would wash his hands and his feet as he would cut up the sacrifices. He would necessarily get blood, hair, different parts of the animal on him. He would have to be clean. How many of you know what happened to the priest if he stepped into the tabernacle with soiled feet or hands? Death. You know, I can't find in my Bible where God killed any priest for not washing. It's a simple thing to do. But we, <coughs> excuse me, but we come to God dirty and expect Him to answer our prayers and are shocked when He does not. It ought not be that way, my friend. That water that springs up within us unto eternal life is a gift that God has given us. The least thing we can do to honor that gift is take a bath. Is to keep ourselves clean through the Word of God. And by the way, the Word of God will tell you what's dirty and what isn't. And if you have to question... Why can't you just say no? If you're really not sure whether that thing is good and clean or not, why can't our first response just be no? You know, I don't need to know about so-and-so's uh, Hollywood starlet's wedding plans. How many have they had? What does the word wedding mean in Hollywood? Opportunity to take more dirty pictures of dirty people. Don't go there. Listen. How often did the priest wash at that brazen altar, at that brazen labor? Here's the word. Constantly. If he was serving in the tabernacle, everything he did before, labor. Offer the sacrifice, labor. Pour the blood out at the bottom of the, uh, of the brazen altar, labor. Before he ordered the showbread and trimmed the lamps, the labor. Before he offered the incense, guess what? The labor. At the end of the day, I mean, he was, everything he did began and ended at the labor. <clears throat> if you just had a little bowl of water that you made yourself wash your hands in, what would happen to the water? It'd get dirty. It wouldn't take very long for you to get dirtier in the, hand, in the bowl you are washing your hands at than it would be to do the work that you need to do. You know what? They didn't have running water like we do in the tabernacle. It moved. It was in the desert. You couldn't run a water line with it. You had to get new water all the time. 
That's why you got to get in your Bible. You got to read it. You got to spend time with the Lord. The water of life. The water for washing. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read just verses 7 through 9. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, you are God's husbandry, you are God's building. Now Paul was trying to solve a problem in the Corinthian church. They were all split up saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. And you had the pious gas bags, we're only from Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what. If you're from this book, you're from all of those. Because they were messengers of the words of this book. And if you have to divide yourself and say, I'm not like that, then you better be careful. Now, there's an awful lot of people. How do we do this? I mean, we just feel like I'm in a clock shop. The pendulum swings so far. We, we believe in old-fashioned separatism. There are things you need to be separate from. But it isn't your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. That's what Paul was dealing with here. He said there's a process. Just like water gives life. Guess what? You need water to sustain life. You need water for growth. Remember back... I believe it was 1987 or 88. I'm not sure which it was. Uh, I think it was summer of 88. We had a drought throughout the Northeast. And it was getting on the middle of July and August. And we were driving through central Pennsylvania. Now, normally in August, when you go through Pennsylvania, the corn is six and a half, seven foot tall. That year, the corn wasn't four foot tall, and it was brown and withered up. It looked like, I mean, I, I just wanted to cry as a grown man. I wanted to just weep looking at those fields because there was no water. It takes more than just passing out a gospel tract to get the gospel out. It takes more than just sending a check to the missionaries to get mission work done. There's a follow-through process here. How many of you got saved the very first time you ever heard of Jesus Christ? I doubt there's one of us in this building. Sometimes people grow up in church and hear Christ all their life and yet never get saved. It's a tragedy. But again, we go back to that ground and we put the seed in the ground and the ground is dry and parched. Once we pour the water on, that seed will germinate and begin to grow. But let me tell you something. The water must be added carefully and in portion for that seed to receive the strength to break through the soil and become a plant. I always watched, loved watching the corn grow. One little kernel in the ground. And in a week, it looked like a piece of grass. 
And all the day get mad if you pulled that grass up. But it would grow in, in a couple of months. It was taller than you were. And there wasn't just one ear of corn on there. There would sometimes be three or four on the same plant. How one little seed produced all of that. But if it didn't get watered, it didn't grow. If it didn't get watered enough, the kernels would be small and dried, taste like eating styrofoam. But when it got plenty of water, not too much, just right, well, I'll tell you what. There are a few things in this world that are better than a fresh ear of corn. Hear it snapping off the stalk. Cook that thing up and enjoy the feast that God has prepared. Amen. You need to keep yourself in a place where you can get watered. Amen. That's what preaching is about. I don't like to talk necessarily about that because I, I feel like I'm saying, come hear me preach. I, I don't want you to come hear me preach so that I can look out and see people listening. But I want you to come because this is God's plan. Preaching in his local church is that watering process that keeps us growing in his word. Sometimes it will drive us back to the Word for that cleansing that we need. And it will show us things that need to be straightened out in our life. You must have water for life to occur. You must have water for washing or death and disease will ensue. But you've got to have water for growth. And this last point is going to be a little bit out of line, but I like it. I want you to turn with me for Matthew chapter 14. Maybe sometime in your life, you'll need some water for walking. I was listening to an old radio show sometimes when I'm working on paperwork and stuff and the advertisement came on for this radio show, Are You Tired of the Dull and Mundane Escape? And it's a story that would take you into some fantastic place and fantastic events so you couldn't think of what was really going on. You know what? That's pretty dumb. Somebody said, well, I escape. I take a mini vacation. I just close my eyes and I see the surf and the palm trees. Careful you don't get sunburned, amen? Where? How many of you have ever experienced a real life? miracle you know what you don't need to escape because reality is better than fantasy this is a story that Jesus had just fed the 5,000 I mean that was a miracle the disciples they weren't interested in the feeding of the 5,000 because Jesus had said come on let's take a break they weren't expecting more teaching and all of these other things. And so Jesus takes these disobedient, hard-hearted disciples and puts them on a boat. Now remember, they're tired already. They just spent the whole day serving people and feeding all, uh, carrying the baskets. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus had all those baskets is because he wanted the disciples to work. Because they were in the wrong attitude. Then he puts them on a boat and says, I want you to go across the, the lake of Gal the Sea of Galilee. And as they're going across, the wind is contrary to them and they're rowing. 
The sea is only a little over five miles wide. It's about four o'clock in the morning, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they're only halfway across. Now, they've been out there since sundown, rowing, sailing, trying to get the sail to fill with wind, and the boat begins to turn and go in the right direction, and the wind turns. How many of you know what happens on a sailboat when the wind turns? That bottom jib that holds the sail in place starts swinging around. It'll knock you right off the boat. And so they're fighting and fuming and probably fighting with themselves, and I mean, they are exhausted beyond exhaustion and all of a sudden whether it's the reflection of the moon on the water or the lightning flashing because of the wind and all of that we don't know but they're looking where the waves ought to be and there's a man standing on top of the water now don't look at me like you wouldn't be afraid The only person that wouldn't be afraid in that situation is too ignorant enough to know anything else either. So we'll just pass that one. They were held with mortal fear. But look what Peter said. Look at verse 27. 26, we'll start there. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Now, I just wonder if Peter had an ulterior motive in the choice of words in this question. Jesus had just told them who he is, right? said, be of good cheer, it is I. Now, Peter says, if it be thou, Lord, bid me to come out on the water. I have an idea. I haven't always thought this, but I just have an idea that Peter said, I'm going to ask him a question he can't say no to. You ever think about it that way? I mean, wasn't that the kind of guy Peter was? He said, Lord, if it's you, he already knew who it was. I think Peter wanted to walk on the water. Did Peter have enough faith to walk on the water? How many of you know what happened? He didn't have enough faith to walk on the water. He got out there, took a few steps. Hey, this is cool. I'm not sinking. I'm on the water. And a gust of wind comes by. Whoa, I better be careful. And he takes his eyes off Jesus, and then all of a sudden he begins to realize, hey, this is really dumb. And he begins to sink. And he cries for Jesus to save him. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? How did Peter get back into the ship? I think he walked on the water back to the ship. How about you? I think he was wishing, boy, I wish I hadn't doubted. That was too short of a walk. I want to go back, but I can't ask the second time. Now, what I want us to understand is God uses water for all kinds of things in the Bible. He used the Red Sea to set his people free and destroy Pharaoh's army at the same time. We serve an amazing God. And we sit here and we talk about wanting to see God really do something in our lives. And when the fires of trial heat up, when the pressures of life build, what do we do? 
We fold like a cheap deck of cards. We fall in like a tissue paper house. And God can't use us to do what he wants to do. I know the stories of most of us sitting in this auditorium. And I dare say that there are very few of us that are not in great need of God doing something great in our lives. I'm talking about if God doesn't do it, we're going to see catastrophic failure in the near future. You know what I'm talking about. We live in a world in a time of crisis. Now let me ask you a question. Are you willing to go through the process of getting to the point to where you're willing to step out of the boat? Do you realize all that happened before Peter stepped out of the boat? He had heard that his friend... A man he used to follow, John the Baptist, had been killed in a most hideous and vile manner. They had so much going on, they had not time to eat. And finally, Jesus promises them a vacation in their minds. He said, come into a private place. And they go, and 5,000 men plus women and children show up for lunch or for dinner. And who gets to serve? Well, Peter does, along with the others. And then they're put in a boat and they're struggling in that boat all night from sunset, six o'clock until three or four in the morning. And then all of a sudden they get scared out of their wits seeing a man walk across the top of the water in the middle of the night with no lights and total darkness. And they hear a voice that says, be of good cheer, it is I. Peter's the only one who has enough guts to say, Lord, bid me to come unto thee. I know this is a little strange in the application. You just got to follow. But see, you need water for life. And if you haven't been to Jesus, you have no life. You need to get that taken care of today. Amen. You need water for washing And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and by the way, if the Holy Spirit isn't convicting you of something that needs to be cleaned up in your life, I think I'd be more worried than if he is. I'd be more concerned that I've grown so callous to the Holy Spirit that I can't even discern what is dirty and clean anymore. I need water for growth. But I'll tell you something. God wants to use and do some great things in our lives. Only God can change hearts. But you've got to be in a place where you're not hindering Him. Amen? Only God can turn around lives. Only God can save souls. But I'll tell you what, we need some more people willing to get out of the boat. God can use water for walking because He is God. And it's time We stop messing around and let God do what God wants to do. I think God wanted Peter to walk on the water just to show that it could be done. You see, we have needs. And we pray, and we ought to pray. But sometimes you just got to get out of the boat. 
But you have to understand something. It won't be your faith that keeps you up. It'll be holding the hand of the Savior. Just like you got saved. That's how you get the water of life. It's taking His hand and letting His water cleanse you and keep you clean. It is taking His hand and daily letting that water feed you and make you strong and grow. It's taking His hand and letting Him do the work that only He can do. And it will be marvelous in our eyes. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I'm thankful that you don't only use water for traditional uses, but you're still a miracle working God, and we don't have to get all hyped up and turn on a TV camera to make something special happen. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to touch people's hearts where they need to be touched. That we would be willing to surrender those things. That we would stand under the shower of your word and get cleansed. That we may be presented with no wrinkle or spot or any such thing but unto your glory. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to receive those regular showers for growth. But most of all, Lord, as we have these great needs in our life, that we would let you use water in a way that it was never designed to be used for walking that your miraculous power can be seen. Lord, I pray that we would do real business with the living God today and that we would leave this place different than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, if you come and lean to him.